we're going to be in the Old Testament. We're primarily going to be in Isaiah 53, but we're going to start a few verses before that at the end of Isaiah 52. So if you want to be finding your way to Isaiah 52, 53, in that neighborhood, that's where we'll be tonight. And I am going to have quite a bit of to uh, put that in your taking notes, you can see the reference, miss something, just let me know, but uh, tonight, um, probably won't keep you too long, I'm not going to make any promises, but uh, just as sure as I say that, I'll be here 45 minutes, but, but uh, um, we have an excellent survival. Old Testament at Clear Creek Baptist Bible College. Uh, he's he's been there for many years. He's a scholar, but he's human like us. He has trouble with the ultimate names too, and I get tickled because he can't say them either. But uh, last semester in our study of Isaiah, I just something hit me that I wanted to just take Isaiah 53 sometime and just step through. And a lot of the notes I'll be using tonight is class, but I have such a, a deep love for the Old Testament because of him, and I never thought that I could like the book of Numbers favorites because of that professor. So anyway, uh, looking tonight at our scripture, we're just going to kind of take a walk through Isaiah 53. We're going to begin in uh Chapter 52, verses 13 through 15, and just see where the Lord leads us. So beginning in 13 of chapter 52, it says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Now I should have prefaced with this. Um, the Jewish people were not expecting the Messiah to come as he did. They expected a conquering king, not a suffering servant. And of course, that's where we're at tonight. This is speaking of the suffering servant. 700 years before Jesus was born, God gave Isaiah these words as a clear picture of who, who Jesus was and who, what he would come to do. In verse 13, we see here, at the very beginning of our reading, we're told the outcome. The servant will act wisely, be high and lifted up and be exalted. Now it's good to know that before we get into it because we could read through 53 and be really distraught about what would happen to our Lord, but we know here at the beginning what will be the outcome. It says the servant um, shall act wisely. Jesus exercised wisdom in that even though it meant self-sacrifice, 
he was obedient to the Father's will. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 2.8, says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It also says that the uh, servant would be high, lifted up, and exalted. Well, about being exalted, Jesus said in John 12.32, says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he did do that. He has drawn all people to himself. Verse 14. Here we see the extent of his suffering. This word, it, in my Bible, it's marred. I think that would be probably in most translations, says uh, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. This term, marred, that means he was disfigured by another as if vandalism. That's hard to think about a person being vandalized, but he was so disfigured, so marred, it was as if someone vandalized him. You know, death on the cross was terrible in his own right, but think about what he went through before the crucifixion. Most people did not and would not have even survived the flogging and the beating that he took. Verse 15, the sprinkling of many nations this harkens back to the Levitical system. When, when they would have the sacrifice, the priest would sprinkle the blood. What we see here, though, that with the many nations being included, not only did Jesus die for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. Israel had been privy to God's law and instructions. But you see here that... Uh, that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. The Jews had heard all this and rejected it. But now God is going to make it available to the Gentiles as well. And I can say just by looking around in our audience tonight, we Gentiles are glad that God did not leave us out. Moving on into chapter 53. Verses 1 and 2 says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no for form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Who has believed what he's heard? It's an unbelievable story, isn't it? If you really think about it, it's an unbelievable story how our Savior came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. Now, I'm not a poet, but I've heard that somewhere before. <laughs> it seems, well, I guess it probably is. It's too good to be true, but it's true. It's true that he gave his life, and it's so... Unbelievable, and that may be why so many people reject the gospel, because it just sounds too good to be true. But I'm thankful that the good news is true. Verse 2, For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. 
the spiritual condition of Israel was dry. If you'll remember Ezekiel, he saw the valley of the dry bones. And God asked him, said, Son of man, can these bones live? And he says, well, only you know that, God. And God is saying, if these people will return to me, I will return to them. The spiritually dry can be revived. But Jesus, in the midst of this dry, spiritual lethargy, apathy, whatever you want to call it, he was like a plant bursting up through the dry ground, a breath of fresh air on a dry and dusty day. Earlier in Isaiah, he described uh, the Messiah as being the shoot from the stump of Jesse. This was him, and he grew despite the conditions he was planted in. Jesus had no form or majesty or beauty that anyone would be drawn to him. Remember, he says if he's lifted up, then he would draw people. But while he was walking the earth, um, he did not have any form or majesty. But he would draw all men to himself after he was high and lifted up on the cross. Philippians 2, 6 and 7, speaking of Jesus, says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He was no less God than when he started. But he didn't come in regaled in his robe and crown, but he came humbly. Now in verses 3 through 9, there's going to be a lot of different actions that take place. I want us to to take note of those as we read through here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Beginning in verse 3, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Just going to pause right here in one second. Chapter 53, 5, that is one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture, talking about him being pierced for our transgressions. He did that for me, and he did that for you. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. In verse 3, it says he was despised 
When something is despised, that means you see no value in it. If you remember the high priest, they saw a value of a slave who had been gored by an ox, 30 pieces of silver, according to the old law. That, um, that's nothing. Not near what our Lord is worth. Rejected. That means he was forsaken. Ceased to be as if he never existed. Cancel culture is not a new thing. It's come to the forefront lately where if someone says something on the news or in Hollywood or they're canceled. We don't want to hear from them again. They're put to the back burner and they're basically ruined for the rest of their professional lives. And it's not a culture that I at all like. It's uh, it's not treating humans as we should when one another were in the image of God. We should not treat each other that way. But that's where our culture is at. But Jesus was canceled. He was rejected as if he had never existed. The good news about cancel culture is if it's a part of a culture that you don't want to be part of anyway... What does it matter if you're canceled from it? Now, I want you to hold on to that because I've spoken many times before about the days to come, what it's going to be like for Christians in America. We are being canceled and will be canceled. But remember, we're not of this world. So if we're canceled by a culture that hates us, really, what have we lost? (laughs) Jesus... His kingdom was not of this world. He was canceled. He's reigning on high in heaven now. Hmm. I better not camp out there. Let's go on. Uh, Still in verse 3, sorrows and grief. You know, Jesus felt pain and experienced grief and sickness, just like we do. He can identify with what we're going through. Jesus may not have ever had COVID, but he knows what it's like to be sick. He's still there and is um, this is what happens when I don't make good notes, I lose my words. He identifies with what we go through. Still not the word I'm looking for, but um, verse 4 says he borne our griefs. You're um, Translation may say, took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Okay. Who who bore our griefs? Jesus. Who carried our sorrows? Who's the one doing the action in this passage? Jesus. This speaking of the servant, Jesus is the one doing the action. John 10, 18, Jesus speaking says, Speaking of his life, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. It's sad, and it can disturb us what Jesus went through. 
but he's the one who laid his life down. We did not take it from him. We could not take it from him. And though he took all of this upon himself, we, sinful humanity, thought God was giving him just what he deserved. That's where it says, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. We as a human race thought, well, he's, he's getting what he, what he needs, but smitten, that means he was beaten or defeated. Now, we know he wasn't defeated for long, but he was also afflicted, humbled, and oppressed by an outside force. Verse 5, pierced. He was run through. When you pierce something, it's not just a flesh wound. It goes all the way through. He was pierced. He was run through for my disobedience to the law. Because of me, he was pierced. Crushed for my sinful activities. The entire weight of every sin of every man, woman, boy, and girl to ever live to that time, alive at that time, and ever would live, was placed on him. Can you imagine the weight that was placed on our Lord as he hung on the cross and he was crushed? His human frame was not broken. His bones were not broken. But under the weight of my sin... He was crushed. But through his crushing, through his chastisement, we were brought peace. And this is that Hebrew word, shalom. He brought us peace. And remember, peace is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of the Lord. Through his brokenness, I was able to be made whole. You were able to be made whole. And by his wounds, he made us well. We were healed, and his death brought to us spiritual life. Verse 6, we have all gone astray. Each one of us have made a conscious choice out of our will and desire to stray from God. And even though we willingly strayed from Him, Jesus willingly took the sin that was laid on Him by the Father. Verse 7, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet He did not complain. He made no argument, and He provided no defense as a lamb to the slaughter. When Peter tried to defend Jesus in Gethsemane that night, remember he said that, do you think, this is Matthew 26, 53, do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? We see what two angels did to Sodom and Gomorrah. Can you imagine 12 legions? 
He could have done that. He could have said, that's enough. They're not worth it. I'm not going to do this anymore. I've had it. I'm done. I created them. They've stomped on me. They've spit on me. They've canceled me. I'm not doing it. He's the only one who could have ever done that. But instead, he remained silent. Why? Not because he deserved it, but because he loved us. Verse 8, it talks about the oppression and judgment that he was taken away by. He was arrested, tried, tried illegally, that is, and executed as a common criminal with common criminals. And I noticed that um, this semester we're studying in Acts, and when Peter and John were arrested, they sat in jail overnight before their trial the next morning. They didn't even give Jesus the dignity of a proper legal trial. They rushed it through the night so that they could get rid of him. But just as a common criminal, he was tried. Verse 9, made his grave with the wicked. Man's intention, especially the Pharisees and, and those leaders, their intention was to bury Jesus and forget about him. He'd be in a common grave with thieves and murderers. And really by all accounts, that's what would happen to a criminal crucified, that especially nobody claimed his body, he would just be thrown in a common grave. But through God's divine intervention to fulfill the prophecy, the rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, uh, buried him in his own tomb to complete what is said here that with the rich, he would be with a rich man in his death. He had nowhere to lay his head during life, but in death he was buried with the rich. Verses, verses 10 through 12. Let's read those. It says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul... He shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. In, um, in verse 10, does anybody's translation say that it um, pleased the Lord? Does that, okay. What translation is that? CSB, okay. New American Standard says that too? Okay. I knew some translations said that, that it, it pleased the Lord to crush him. Mine, it says, it was the will of the Lord. 
pleasure. Okay. New King James. So more, more often than not, the translations, it sounds like I say, it was his pleasure. But God did not enjoy. See, this, this is a different way of pleasure than what we think of. God did not enjoy seeing his son suffer. He didn't, he didn't sit in heaven um, and enjoy that. And he doesn't take pleasure from seeing our suffering. That pleasure that it's speaking of is that the account of sin debt was brought into balance. I know if you've ever balanced a checkbook, at some point, evidently, you're off somewhere. You've missed a few cents here or there. And that can probably be more aggravating to run down two or three cents in a checkbook than if it was a big amount. But our balance with God, we were way out of reconciliation. But that debt was brought into balance. God's requirement for restitution was satisfied. So it pleased the Lord that that sacrifice had been made. Some people you'll see that don't believe, they'll say, well, well, why would loving God send anybody to hell? Why would he let suffering happen? Why would he do this? Why would he do that? It's not because he's a cosmic killjoy. That's what sin has done to our world. God loves every one of us, but without that debt being paid, none of us could make our way to him. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says that we were bought with a price. Now, Fisher, you went to Walmart yesterday and bought something with a price, didn't you? And you had to sacrifice some of your money to do it, didn't you? Yeah. I'm sure you'll get it back somewhere. We were bought with a price. The price tag that was on our heads was sin. And that's, that it could have said $20 billion. It'd been the same thing because we wouldn't have been able to pay it. Only Jesus could pay that price. And now that he has paid it, we are bought and paid for. So many people don't understand what the Lord did to us, did for us, not to us, but for us. He paid a price we couldn't pay so that we could live with him. Those who hated him can live with him forever. The rest of verse 10 um, talks about Jesus' resurrection and shaping those who repent and trust in him into his likeness. Uh, it says that... Um, uh, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Um, Philippians 1, 6 says, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's going to be brought to completion because we're told here that whatever he does will prosper in his hand. So we can know that that is a guaranteed promise. Now, we're not going to be brought into completion until... The Lord either comes back for us or we go to meet him, one or the other. But he is daily forming us to be more like him. 
One day we're going to be made complete. We'll be made complete when we're in His presence. Verse 11, although God's will was for Jesus to suffer and die, um, I wrote an incomplete sentence there. I, I must have had something else in my mind. Um, it was God's will for Jesus to suffer and die. And he looked down and he saw and accepted his sacrifice. Again, not because God enjoys people suffering, but because the Lord satisfied the payment for sin. Nothing else was needed. The righteous was judged for the acts of the unrighteous. Verse 12, we see that Jesus won the ultimate victory. Death was defeated and the grave could not hold him. And all those who accept the free gift of salvation will be victors along with him. We each one have a day appointed that we will die if the Lord doesn't come back first. Um, and we can't stop that, no matter how hard we try. But we can be victors because Jesus defeated the grave. We can share in that with him. Philippians 2, verses 9 and 10 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. This is the servant who suffered during his time on earth, and now he is highly exalted so that every knee will bow before him. No one bowed to him as he walked the earth that he created. But one day every knee will bow, every tongue confess. 1 Corinthians 15, 54-57 When the perishable puts on the imperishable, when the mortal puts on immortality, that means when we shed this meat bag that we're walking around in, and we're made perfect, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. How many of you are glad of that? How many of you have lost someone that you love, who's important to you, who you know is a Christian? We can rejoice that death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I don't know what it's going to be like to die. I don't fear the destination, but I don't look forward to the journey simply because I don't know what it'll be like. But we may have a sting for a moment. We may feel nothing. But death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord, Jesus Christ. In these passages we've read tonight, and we can take beginning in 52.13 all the way through 53.12, we can take that as one section. Isaiah used every possible word 
for sin in this passage. Uh, he used iniquity, transgression, sin. We may have other translations that had other words. But is it possible by him writing this way under inspiration of the Holy Spirit that he wanted to tell us that Jesus, the suffering servant, would completely atone for our sin. There is no iniquity, no transgression, no sin, no anything that is left that has to be paid for. Jesus completely suffered. He completely died. He completely atoned. Aren't you glad of that tonight? He said upon the cross, it is finished. The debt has been paid. And all we have to do is repent and be recipient of that. As we move into our invitation tonight, I know that as a general rule, our Sunday night crowd is a raw Christians. I know there could be someone listening by radio or watching by internet that may not be a Christian. Um, you, you feel sometimes kind of kind of funny extending an invitation to a room full of saved people. But maybe you just want to come down tonight and pray and thank God for what he did for us through Jesus. Maybe, maybe there's someone here who never has truly been saved that you see now what the Lord did for us. You may just need to come and pray for something going on in your life. This is the time we open up. If you have any prayer need, it's your time to come down. So let's pray and then we'll sing our hymn of invitation. Father God, we thank you. Thank you for such a wonderful chapter that you've given us in our Bibles. While the entirety of Scripture is wonderful, I can't help but spend time here in Isaiah and marvel at what you have done for us through your Son. God, forgive us. Forgive us for when we forget or take lightly the price that was paid. Father, I pray that we will commit now to, to live for you totally as your son died for us totally. God, if there's any decision that needs to be made tonight, whether it be in this room or whether it be somebody watching or listening now or later, God, I pray that you will work in their lives and stir their hearts. Your will would be done during this time. In Jesus' name, amen.